0: The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Podcast. My name's Alec Petty, and this is Thrill of the Hill. In today's episode, I sit down with SAC Sheep Specialist, Kirsten Williams, and we discuss the hot topics of Brexit, biodiversity decline, and what sheep farmers can do to combat climate change. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for for sitting down and talking with us. No problem at all. Kirsten, can you give a bit of an introduction into the kind of work that you're involved in as a sheep specialist with SAC?
1: Of course, yes. Yeah. So, um, the role is is really varied, to be honest. Um, it it's, um, gets me, usually, when we're not in a pandemic, to different corners of Scotland, um, various different farm visits. I do quite a lot of, like, enterprise analysis. So, kind of going in and seeing where businesses are technically and financially, kind of setting a baseline and then trying to um, adjust them to, to make improvements Various articles on technical stuff, marketing. Um, I do quite a lot of stuff with forage crops as well and various different grazing systems to reduce winter costs, um, rations, technical events. We pretty much do do a bit of everything. Um, but I, I think the bit I love the most is actually getting out and about onto to different farms and seeing different systems.
0: And, you know, I, I've asked everybody who I've recorded with uh, previously, how they feel the agricultural sector has has dealt with the the pandemic. What's your perception of how people are coping?
1: Um, I think it is absolutely amazing, to be honest, how agriculture has been relatively unscathed. Um, When it first happened in March, there was a week where lamb price crashed and there was lambs getting turned away from the market. But it's, it's phenomenal, to be honest, just how well markets have coped. They've kept the throughput going. Um, lamb is on a, a, a high at the minute. It has been all year. Um, and I find it just just phenomenal how resilient farmers are and how well everybody's adapted to it. The downside of it is the the sort of isolation side, and I guess when pandemic came, it was lambing time, it was calving time. People are used to being isolated, but the likes of not having a Highland show, not having the shows and sales, um, it's, it definitely has had a, an impact on people, and um, I guess now we're back back into lockdown. People are thinking now lambing and calving is coming again and i just hope that there is some way that we can get a bit of normality again for 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 people's mental um, health as much as anything that we can uh, see people again and be able to talk to each other again
0: yeah absolutely could not uh, could not agree more you mentioned impact there kirsten and uh, it's really the the elephant in the room here um is brexit um and the the recent trade deal um what are your feelings on on the passing of the the trade deal um brexit and how it's going to impact the, the sheep industry there was a lot of speculation that that sheep were going to be a particularly vulnerable industry um, how much uh, or, or to to what degree do, do you agree with that and and have we kind of um sheltered uh, ourselves from from the worst of it
1: yeah so um the the deal obviously happened over christmas time and the document is very lengthy and i will admit i haven't read the document as yet i think there's a lot of holes in it that there's a lot of grey matter that needs to be ironed out um i think though it's massively positive for farming and especially that of the sheep sector we were looking at tariffs on our exported goods of about fifty percent. So a lamb could have been worth 80 pounds on the 31st of December and then £40 on the first of January, which would have been a really hard pill to swallow. Um, and you think of it, there's there's 90% of UK exports land up in the EU. So it's it's a large volume of our stuff. So we've we've dodged a bullet, I would say, um, largely escaping that 50% tariff. There has been problems reported of like obviously the paperwork when the deal was was ro- rode so close to the deadline, the paperwork wasn't designed as such. So um, just getting people up to speed at ports and what the system is, that has caused a bit of problem, uh, which I hope will, will start to sort itself out. Um, interestingly for LAM, though, just now our European customers are also suffering from lockdown restrictions and um, the, the food catering is shut you know like your your restaurants in France are shut at the moment which means that we're not exporting as much um, so it's maybe making it a bit easier in the ports when there's not so much throughput going through but when when and if we're come out of lockdown and return to bit of normality and the amount going through, it's going to be very interesting how the ports actually cope with this extra stuff. Um, I think as well, like it's 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 working. We are currently adhering to all of the EU kind of specifications because we've been part of them. So we are adhering to all traceability rules, we're adhering to all animal health and welfare rules. But if anything does change for us at all, if any of our law changes, say we bring in um, GM sources or if we change our traceability or something that all of a sudden makes us not comply with the EU, then it's going to be very interesting what happens to our current market access. It's, It's working just now. But if anything does change, is that going to continue working or is it going to um, make us have to adapt a little bit?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so 10 years times ahead, potentially.
1: Yeah, it is, it's just it's, it's one of these things. It's just watch this space, I think. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening within the markets as well. You know, you've got the likes of New Zealand and Australia. They suffered from a really, really bad drought their stock numbers are down. They're keeping a lot of their hogs to rebuild their flocks rather than selling. So there's, there's less of their product getting exported, but they're also putting product into China as well. Our um, currency uh, just now is weak against the euro. So our, our exportable produce is actually quite cheap to go into the continent. Whereas when you've got Australia and New Zealand, they're putting a lot of stuff into China. China's still kind of in the recovery of African swine fever and when they start to rebuild their national herd of pigs it's going to be interesting to what that market does. Are they going to um, start eating more pork and less lamb and have lower reliance on this Australia and New Zealand? Are they going to build their own flock because they see that people are eating lamb now? And there's there's just a lot of Maybe happen, maybe happen. So it's very difficult to to really look forward and and very much plan. But I th- I think how it's sitting at the moment, it's it's very favourable for us. Um, the currency is is playing a big part into that, and the global demand as well. We're seeing prices just now like we've never seen, and it's it's phenomenal because if you ask people in December, nobody had any idea if lamb was going to be worth the market rate or if it's going to be worth half the amount so it's it's very very positive for the sheep sector.
0: Good good and so Kirsten the idea behind this podcast series is that we discuss the topics that are affecting the farmed upland environment Um, and last year we had um, our own consultant from this office Daniel Stout discussing upland grazing strategies for sheep. In this episode I'd like to kind of Talk about sheep and and flock resilience, um, and I just wanted to start off by asking you, what what does flock resilience mean to you in in practical terms?
1: Okay, so resilience, I guess, really means for for everything um, is being able to recover quickly from any challenges or difficulties, and I think farmers are fantastic at doing that. They're hugely adaptable, and This year, we have seen, uh, or sorry, last summer, we saw drought. We saw a a long period where we didn't have any rain. The ground just dried up. And I think how farmers reacted to that really shows how resilient we are as an industry. People were looking at cooperation. So if they didn't have a lot of grass because it wasn't the water and the growth there, um, they were doing cooperation where store lambs were going on to finishing farms There was also people selling stock where they might not have usually sold stock just to to try and ease that and to be able to prioritise the breeding stock rather than the the finishing stock or store stock. People doing catch crops and again that, that cooperation we saw that quite a lot where there was people on grassland farms and then they were doing a cooperative deal with arable farmers where they were getting their their barley off quick and then there was catch crops getting sown in which it, it just shows the, the power of the, the agricultural industry there's others who have changed to growing like deep rooting varieties like your red clover your plantain it's and all these examples just show how resilient farmers are and and how adaptable they are I guess the things that we need to think about for this year or immediately we're coming up to lambing and, and how we need to think of adapting a little bit is I spoke earlier about the like the currency and our our pound being weak against the euro. And that makes it very favourable favorable for us exporting, but anything that comes into us is at a premium. So we've got fertiliser, we've got soya um, that are actually at, a very very high price this year and I guess it's how we retaliate to that can our margins um, actually carry that extra cost or do we need to look at reducing the reliance on stuff like fertilizers maybe by adapting more rotational grazing systems um, reducing the the soil onset again maybe by looking at our grassland management making better silage that's got a higher protein in there I think like the resilience being able to to recover and there's so much globally happening at the minute isn't there we've got a really unstable economy we've got climate and environmental challenges coming towards us and it's it's being able to to challenge that and make sure that the business doesn't go backwards and uh, yes, it's about being able to recover when something bad happens. But maybe we should actually be promoting that it's being able to advance your business when a when a challenge comes as well. And there's so many great stories and and ways that people have, have done that. And like look at the markets, how they've operated through the pandemic. They have Massively, they've seen there's a hurdle, and they've they've seen a way to work over it through the like to drop and go, moving more stuff to online trading, and it's it's just it is amazing. There's so many different kind of case studies you could use to show how resilient
0: the agricultural industry is. Brilliant, yeah, could not agree more. You mentioned um, climate change there, Kirsten. In in my mind, two of the big um, challenges for, for the agricultural sector this year will be climate change and, and biodiversity decline. What uh, what can, can sheep farmers do in particular with regards to, to these issues, just to shore up their business and, and make sure that they are resilient?
1: Yeah, I think there's actually really big opportunities for us as a sector with climate change and biodiversity. It is largely where policy looks to be going towards so it is it's again it's one of these things coming that that we're going to have to adapt our businesses or advance our businesses to be able to um to kind of go forward here and to make sure that we're achieving what what policy wants us to do um there is so many ways i guess that, that we can we can adapt here and there's stuff like managing grasslands is is something for all farms be it hill farms upland farms or lowland farms there's really big benefits to doing there there's even as as small as adjustments as looking at your livestock and seeing how functional they are are they suited to your farm and to your environment um looking at uh, I, I spoke there about like soya being very expensive, and looking at the opportunities of when you're managing your grasslands that you're actually making use of your homegrown protein, so that you're making your your silage better. It might be that looking towards growing the likes of um, arable silage that you've got peas in your your grassland mix, and it's it's all things thinking. How, how do you reduce the effect in your farms so if you think of um say like fossil fuels how how much things that you use that use fossil fuels I guess soya is, is a, a big one there and just look into ways that you could maybe reduce that or look into what could substitute it instead
0: um and I'll, I'll just take this opportunity Kirsten. Um, you mentioned soya, uh, so I will be involved this year in the delivery of an, an alternative proteins series that we will have ongoing uh, for, for all of 21, uh, 2021, but, but that will include a, a two-part webinar series on um, producing growing alternative protein sources. Um, so so that, that that's something that we're, we're looking forward to doing with, with FAS this year. Excellent. At, at the same time, Kirsten, D- devil's advocate here, I've asked you about climate change and and biodiversity decline, and these are really important topics. Um, But I've also been encouraged by some of the voices within the industry arguing that we can't compromise productivity within the sheep sector. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about why productivity is important? It might seem like an obvious point, but is there there anything that you want to say on on that issue?
1: Yeah, I, I see productivity pretty much as a measure of efficiency. And I think the the more efficient you are in what you do, you're reducing waste within the system, which is actually something that is, is really helps tackle climate change because when you've got waste, you've got extra costs, you've got extra resources that aren't needed. And there's so many ways that you can increase your productivity, increase your efficiency. It might be um, achieving better growth, better lambing percentages, weaning percentages, increasing your output, per hectare of forage there's there's so many ways you can task it um, I think there's there's a, a nice little kind of uh, rule of thumb where comparing um, one lamb per, if you have one lamb per year or two lambs per year, per year um, going from one to two actually reduces your energy requirement per kilo carcass by about 40% and that that is quite a a big figure, and it's just showing how, how increasing that efficiency actually re- reduces cost and onset further on, so when you've got i know we're we're kind of talking hill more so here, which isn't always possible with with um your hill breeds, but that's just one example, and there's many examples like that, even thinking of hill as thinking of of your maternal breeds looking at the genetics, looking actually. What they can do and how much they suit that system to be able to to go further, to be able to get the growth rates that you want, to be able to utilise the forage that you've got available. It's also, I think, fertilisers is is something that that is a big big challenge, um, and it's again it's trying to reduce that waste or increase that efficiency so fertilizers are obviously a great way at getting your your grass going to make sure you've got grazing available for um, your your sheep at turnout at lambing time but they're always they're also something that I think we can get quite reliant on. And with just adjusting bits of grass management, at looking at the likes of rotational grazings, at looking at modern varieties of grass, at looking at the basics of soil science, the likes of having the pH right, all those things actually can help produce that fertilizer use. So I think I think productivity is massively um influential here. And um interesting you saying that you're looking people are saying. Um, we we can't compromise productivity I absolutely agree with that because I think productivity is actually a big driver to helping this problem
0: and there's always historically been that argument that the more productive your your agricultural business becomes the more ground the the, the more potential there is to to set aside for things like conservation and climate change concerns yeah so Kirsten, for those interested, um, and for those who are listening today, um, you, you've touched on some of the things that you can do to to tackle flock productivity. If I'm a farmer, I'm listening today, and and I, I know that there's there there are some issues with the flock performance. I can't really put my finger on what the issue is. What are those those top tips? What what are those things that you should be investigating um, in the first instance?
1: Yeah. Again again it's it's reducing waste I think it's quite a nice way to to think about it is that um to to improve you have to find out where the waste is or, or what's not operating um and there's so many records that are kept that can be looked at that that can actually start to investigate where where things are going wrong one thing that is is really high on Scottish farms and it it has been forever is um, high mortality at lambing and figures are between 15 and 20 percent mortality at lambing which which is a huge loss in the system and there's so many drivers that that can influence that number one is definitely nutrition nutrition and condition score and really looking at getting them right a good a good six to eight weeks pre lambing understanding what the sheep needs or what it requires Um, you've got abortion in there as well you've got predation as a massive issue as well and there's there's to try and reduce that kind of 15 to 20 percent you almost need to to have a understand where those losses are occurring so if you've you've got you've got the figure this is what it is what are you counting that from are you just counting that from the lambs that went in into the dead bag are you also counting the yows that were scanned that, that died pre-lamming? So you might have, like say this year, there's loads, of, there's loads of high scannings. There's a lot of triplets out there. Triplets are obviously quite a difficult yow to manage nutritionally and have more chance of your metabolic issues, eh, such as twin lambs, say, or prolapses, that type of thing. And if you've lost a couple of, of triplet-bearing yows, say it's three yows, is that nine lambs being counted in there? And it's it's a nice kind of baseline given the time of year we're at just now, just get some people are getting going with lambing. And it's just maybe having some sort of record to then be able to look back on when lambing's finished that right, actually we've lost 20% of our losses has been pre lambing So that's something we obviously need to to look more into. We need to look at the nutrition, we need to look at the management of it. Or is it that there is a large majority, say 70% of them are being being lost due to being big? Or um, is there is there a trend? And it's quite often you can start lambing with great intentions. I'm going to write down every, every death and it, um, you can start to lose the will a bit and get down with it. But it's a fantastic resource to then at the end of lambing, sit down with the team and say, right, this is what has happened because it's very easy to forget the bad stuff. Um, So you can actually sit down, you've got a a real record to kind of set your baseline and say, right, this is where we're at. Um, It's something that can be done year on year as well and it can be compared year on year and make sure that the improvements are are happening year on year as well. There's loads, loads of different, different ways to improve, improve flock productivity. Obviously, that's that's just one. Given the time of year we're in, that that we're looking at, but nutrition and condition are two major drivers through through the year. And to be honest, if you're looking at pre-lamming condition and there's a problem with the condition now of the ewes. It's too late really to, to massively change too much. So it's something that, that needs to be incorporated the whole year round, every handling of the sheep, that that is something that's been assessed and management has changed on. Um, it, it, it impacts everything within the sheep, absolutely everything. Um, other things to, to think, I suppose, is I mentioned a bit earlier about, is your sheep actually suitable for your environment? And that is something that that we see more and more, that um, there's a kind of hopscotch of every breed happening within a flock, whereas if it was a a core breed that actually suited that environment better, that the productivity would be better there. Um, Genetics largely comes into there with survivability and um, how extreme the conditions are. You've got even as simple as reducing lambing period if if, um, again if you keep this record of when losses are occurring if there's a lot of losses towards end of lambing you you can you can see that there's there's quite there's something going on there and that's often something that we see largely because the nutrition hasn't been hugely tailored to these these late lambs there's a build-up of disease the labour isn't as available because there's other spring work happening and Um, Reducing lambing period is is something that is is really, really successful for for a lot of people. Growth rates, stocking levels, there's loads of stuff. I could talk all day about um, different, different stuff that could happen there. The stocking levels one is an interesting one, though, and I've said a few times the words rotational grazing. And this increasing stocking levels is something that a lot of people see as their driver, But it's really, really important that there's actually a balance there with what resources that you've actually got available. Um, Because if if you're increasing the stock in density and the land can't take it, you don't have the grass, you're actually going to see negatives. You're going to see um, higher disease. You're going to see poor nutrition, poor condition, poor fertility. And each problem knocks on to the last problem. So only have a, a driver if that is actually something that, That you have resources to do and it's always having some sort of plan b with with increasing stocking density that if there is something happens um i don't know say it's a drought say it's disease that there's there's a, a plan for where to go say it's you've had really really high rainfall and it is just an absolute midden um for having such a high stocking density and that you've got a plan b you've got somewhere else that they they can go so sorry alex that was a bit of a mind splat of (laughs) of just loads of different um productivity things but but the zoodles i think the the main message is try and find out where the waste is first off see where where the waste is by looking at records it might be you look at your scanning scanning percentages against your weaning percentages for the last Two or three years stuff that you've you've already got will tell you a huge amount of information to then to start to ask questions on.
0: No that's perfect Kirsten yeah a, a lot of really good stuff there so um no that, that that's brilliant you mentioned um rations and, and nutrition Kirsten um ruminant livestock have have been targeted as, as one of the problems um, in the fight against climate change particularly as it pertains to, to methane production where do you stand on that issue? And um, uh, maybe, you know, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to rehash that, but is, is there anything that farmers can do from a, a, a climate perspective um, to to make sure that what they're feeding is appropriate?
1: Yeah, um, I, I am a sheep person, absolutely. And I would I would say um, sheep are definitely a solution here. Um, of course, I'm going to say that, but they, they very much are. You think of Scotland, think of our land area. There are so many areas that are only suitable for sheep. There's, there's not, there's, there's not other um, enterprises that can happen on a lot of this land. That sheep meat produced there is the most sustainable product that you'll find. Um, and there's, there's not there really is nothing else you can do with a lot of this land. So I, th- I think sheep are a major, major um, solution here, to be honest. They are um, aiding so much towards uh, rejuvenation of um, land. They're aiding to um, birds, mammals, insects. They're aiding the biodiversity. They're rejuvenating Soils um, for following arable crops—they play a massive, massive part here. Um, the the fossil fuels is obviously a, a big issue, and it's it's looking at ways possibly to reduce requirements or make make the requirements of those as minimal as possible. So maybe just using soya again, since since we've gone there already, is like what other protein sources are there available that, that don't, don't have that same fossil fuel requirement as the likes of soya would. And so I think sheep aren't necessarily a problem, but I think there's ways that sheep farmers could think differently to try and reduce the problems through various inputs.
0: Good. Good. And um, kind of following on from that, Kirsten, cattle have been acknowledged um, as being beneficial um, to, to the farmed upland environment. Um, I suspect that you probably feel um, exactly the same about sheep. How do we put across that message um, that, that there is a benefit from from sheep grazing um, on the uplands?
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually a really big fan of mixed grazing systems. Um sheep and cattle grazing um in harmony and low intensity i think offers really really good benefits they both have um different eating habits so your sheep are really selective and cattle not so selective and even if you've if you've got a bit of grass there is Sheep will obviously eat um, a different proportion of what cattle will, or leave more behind than what cattle will. So I think there's there's a really nice harmony in the mixed grazing systems. Um, I think it it really means that that no species is actually be, being grazed too hard, um, just due to their kind of different eating habits and. I think it, I said it before, but I think livestock are absolutely essential for biodiversity, for this rejuvenation, for aiding birds, mammals, insects, and it it's it all kind of goes within the ecosystem, I guess. But I I think a, a mixed grazing system is is probably where I find the biggest benefit.
0: No, couldn't agree more, Kirsten. No, that's a, that's a good point, uh, Kirsten. Well, we're, we're we're just on the on the wind down for the for the podcast now but I did want to to get your opinion on this 2020 was was the year of the the sustainable agriculture capital grant for for many and um how do you feel that the sheep sector is going to to benefit from from the the grant and did you see a, an awful lot of uptake in in your particular region in, in the northeast
1: yes i actually got um Site of some stats that showed actually which um, which options were up taken the most. And number one, top of the list for a number applied for, was cameras. So that would be both for sheep and cattle systems. Um, I don't know what the actual split is how many were for sheep, how many for cattle, but um, cameras I think aid. Hugely in a lambing shed when we're speaking about productivity, efficiency, reducing waste. um, Having, when you're an indoor lambing system, having the ability to let the sheep get on with their normal behavior, not have people in the shed all the time, be able to stand back and watch them, make viewing them in the middle of the night a bit easier on um, making sure you get some sleep and making sure you've got labor, I think is is a huge, huge benefit. I, I've got lambing cameras at home. I would never do without them now, to be totally honest. Um, being able to just step out the shed, especially um, when you've got a, a, a shed full that's busy, they like they like their behaviour. They, they stick to their behaviour. And if there's somebody in there, it, it puts them clean off. So being able to stand back, watch watch from afar see the water bag see if you actually need to get in there you know how long they've been lambing for you're not going in too early you're not going in too late and it's it's really really it's something that is a a, a big driver for reducing these um losses at lambing so cameras i think are great the the in in the kind of the say the top 10 applied things on the grant uh, there was cameras in there There was a sheep handler in there, there was EID devices and there was electronic weigh cells. So in the top 10, it was actually largely dominated by livestock stuff rather than arable equipment, which shows there is a need, it shows there is a requirement for this this stuff. Um, The sheep handler has massive savings there as well. It means that sheep can be treated on a per sheep basis rather than a flock basis. And if you've got you've got them in, there's no excuse if there's only one of you not to condition score them. You've got them in, you've got them, you can squeeze them together. You can make it that they can't get out, they can't wriggle. Um, you can reduce, even like vet bills, if you're doing mass blood testing or something, the, the speed of the vet being able to get in there and do it and the, the less labour you need, even better. No excuses for not crutching the Save say pre-toughing to reduce disease. There's loads of stuff in there. EID devices, you've got every part of management data that you could ever need to understand where your waste is happening and your technical efficiency. Um, you can use it as as simple or as full on as you like. The more data you collect the more you can crunch it and the more you can understand what's happening. You can start with a fantastic baseline of this is where I am in 2021. You can set yourself some really achievable and realistic targets. And then you can benchmark yourself. You can benchmark yourself against industry as well, which gives you a, a driver to then see where you want to go to. You can discuss it with your staff, get staff behind it, make it make it something that everybody's got investment into. Electronic weigh cells was was the last one in the top ten and monitoring what growth rates are doing, monitoring when something's not working, giving you an eyesight to actually know my my nutrition isn't working, my grass management isn't working. I wanted that lamb to do 250 grams a day, it's only doing 150. If you're not weighing them, how else do you know it's not working to be able to actually adapt? So all these things, I think, are massive, massive steps forward to helping with efficiency and to reducing waste, making working on farm easier and hopefully helps with the next generation as well. And that working with technology helps get more buy-in from the younger generation on farms that, that, they can have the apps and their phones, apps and the iPads. Um, give them something that that they can truly own and and adapt and take the data forward and see what to benefit with that farm.
0: I was going to ask you, Kirsten, what you felt the the long term benefit of the the grant could be, but I, th- I think you've kind of covered it quite nicely there. Do you think that um, uptake of the grant was driven by farmer desire to to understand the data um, of their, their flocks more? Or in the case of, of cameras, do you think it was streamlining some of the activities that we do, making it easier for themselves?
1: Yeah, I think labour is something that is becoming more and more challenging. And we saw, obviously, pandemic as well. How easy is it now? It does It makes you question bringing on additional labour. Um, and having having something that makes life a little bit easier, but then also has efficiency benefits there as well. I, I see it as a no brainer, to be honest.
0: And Kirsten, final question for the podcast. I ask this to everybody who comes on. Um, is there something happening within the sector right now that you want to spotlight? Something that you feel that we should be paying more attention to? as it pertains to the farmed upland environment?
1: Good question, good question. Um, there is loads of really innovative stuff happening within the industry. Um, there is loads that helps save labour, um, makes life easier. Um, there's, there is so much happening and I think technology is, is something that could probably be embraced more. Um, Technology works for every type of farm, be it upland, hill, lowland. Understanding what is happening on a per animal basis rather than a um, flock basis. Look at our intensive industries. Look at, say, our, our pigs. Every, every animal is, is weighed daily as they go into their feed. They're absolutely treated as a per animal. Look at the dairy industry. They're treated as a per animal. Sheep are always just treated as a flock of sheep. So to be able to actually get data per animal, see who isn't being productive and who is being productive, to then be able to make decisions for the future, decisions for what replacements to keep, um, what genetics are needed to, to be brought into the farm, I think is is something that largely hasn't been hugely adopted so far in the sheep industry, um, but something that I I think there's so much, so much potential for. Um, there's loads of nice ways people are reducing labour um, at lambing. You know, just simple things like um, in sheds rather than having water buckets in every pen, that they've adapted like a pipe system at, at the back, so that it's always fresh water, it's always clean, and there's there's not that time in in refilling buckets um, continuously. And I think thinking globally, what's happening just now with with the um, currency exchange and being able to secure things from other countries, I think we really need to look at reducing our reliance on soya. I think it's something that that there is there is more options of other protein sources. There is more that we can we can grow on farm. There's more we can source within Scotland, and I think that is is something that as an industry we we possibly need to look more at and great to hear that you've got a project coming up on it so I think that is very very topical at the moment.
0: Brilliant, well um, thanks Kirsten for for joining us, Um, I'd just like to say on on behalf of the the Farm Advisory Service um, it's been been good to to sit down with you um, and uh, we'll hopefully catch up soon.
1: Super, thank you Alex.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Thrill of the Hill part of the Farm Advisory Service podcast. If you have any questions regarding flock resilience or anything else that you've heard here today, you can contact us at 0300-323-0161 or you can email the helpline at advice at